If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2022, please make a year-end tax-deductible gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. The Christmas hymn, Let All Together Praise Our God. Around Jesus' birth, there is a lot of activity. Some of it comes a little bit later, like the visit of the Magi, and that, of course, precipitates an event called the slaughter of the holy innocents, the babies and the young children in Bethlehem at the hand of King Herod. How does all that fit into the Christmas season? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this third day of Christmas, December the 28th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday after Christmas with Pastor Sean Denzer. Then we'll study the Christmas hymn, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back. Talk about Christmas as a season. Most people kind of casually regard it as just a day. Or not even a day, just the night before. Yeah, everybody, I think, notices more and more, and especially the year we happen to be recording here, that whenever Christmas Day rolls around, a lot of churches close up. It's it's all Christmas Eve, nothing on the day. Even if it falls on a Sunday, that means you have a Sunday off. And certainly the stores that have had all the decorations up for months on end, everything just disappears the day after Christmas. And I suppose if you have Christmas Day off, that's a good day to clean things up and put away the decorations. In the church, we have a season of Advent in preparation for Christmas, reminding us that we're always preparing for the second coming of Christ Jesus. And that means Christmas begins for us on the eve and then on the day, but it doesn't end. This is an older understanding of parties, and it's very interesting that you know we're we're a, a group of people that only understands partying at this point, and yet our parties are so short sighted; they just burn out really quick. I guess it's it's the equivalent of uh, taking a shot instead of savoring a wonderful drink. The church is maybe the last place where feasts still last multiple days, uh, and the church year is is resisting that pressure to burn out brightly and just be over with it. And Christmas is no exception. Christmas then lasts 12 days. That's where the 12 days of Christmas song and idea comes from. It doesn't lead up to Christmas like the Advent calendar, but it goes out from Christmas. So, so usually we observe an octave, that's eight days, but then sometimes we have whole seasons, that is tides that follow a particular day. So we have a Christmas tide that lasts all the way to the day of Epiphany, or rather the day before Epiphany, and that's how you get 12 days. And since we're on the subject of the Christmas season, what are the kind of feasts and festivals that fall significantly in those 12 days? 
Sure. So you uh, usually have three big ones right after Christmas. St. Stephen's Day, the very day after. He's the first martyr or remembered as such because he's the first uh, person who dies in the name of Christ Jesus after Christ ascends into heaven. And of course, we have that uh, marvelous story in Acts where you see Stephen imitating Christ in so many ways. This is a great place to go to understand the church's observation of the saints and why certain days are chosen. We think of them as not death days so much as birthdays, not a birth into this world, but a birthday into the eternal kingdom of God, uh, since now they have gone to be with Christ Jesus and are only awaiting the resurrection. So Stephen has his heavenly birthday, you might say, right after our Lord Jesus Christ is born here on earth, which is the case that he exchanges his place with us as so many of the Christmas hymns sing too. Following that is John, uh, probably because he's uh, right in close proximity there to the Christmas gospel, which is wonderful. So John the evangelist, who was not martyred, but who confessed and and lived to be the only apostle that lived to be a ripe old age. Uh, uh, But he always did it, confessing Christ Jesus. Following that, then, is the Feast of the Holy Innocents, uh, which was sometimes uh, celebrated less uh, among Lutherans. And I think it's gained in popularity recently, especially because of the cruelty of abortion and the way that we see that young life especially is despised again in our time, kind of rolling back the curtain on Christianity, which is a shame. But this feast then has renewed life for us and value for us when we see kind of the wickedness of Herod trying to snuff out Jesus Christ, this threatening king, and ends up just going overkill, literally, uh, in order to try and get him. And that actually forms the basis of our text for today, that passage from Matthew. What is the focus of this Sunday after Christmas? Christmas one in year A is the odd one out. So all the other years of the three-year lectionary, years B and C, we always hear Luke's gospel about the purification of Mary and the presentation of Jesus there. So we have, they come to the temple 40 days later, Simeon's there, Anna's there. We have the Nunc Dimittis sung. Uh, And that's kind of a preview in chronological order of what we usually hear in the church on the Feast of the Purification 40 days later. That's part of the Christmas season in the three years. It kind of shifts to be chronological and narrative in its focus, kind of going through the story of Christ's life, at least without totally upsetting the church year that was already in place. We get to hear something that definitely is early in Christ's life and probably kind of the next logical thing in a way, and that is we get to hear the flight into Egypt and out of Egypt where Joseph and Mary take the baby Jesus to save him from Herod. And then we also get to hear how the innocents are killed when they're gone and how they return, although not directly to Bethlehem, but they go and they settle in Nazareth, which kind of sets the scene for Jesus of Nazareth and his whole story of life and his ministry and his death for our our sins. What are some of the connecting themes in this coming Sunday? Well, Matthew's gospel is arranged this way to put the prophecies right up front. He'll continue to be interested in Christ as a fulfillment of prophecies throughout the gospel, but especially at the beginning, he just kind of piles them in there, and even some obscure ones, which we get to have today. So this this first most obscure one in our reading for the gospel is that out of Egypt I have called my son. And that theme really does pervade today's proper to all of them, including the sung ones, And by extension, who is he called out of Egypt? Well, 
Israel originally in that prophecy from the Old Testament, but but then this this cast Jesus in a particular light that we are to see him as a representative of Israel, or you might say Israel kind of boiled down to one, or to draw from the old prophecies that he is the son of promise. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac. He is the new Jacob, the one who will strive for the sake of his people. So uh, Jesus is the Israel who is not faithless, but is faithful in all things. And so the Lord arranges it as such so that he also spends a time in Egypt, but it's only a sojourn and he's brought back out again. Another theme that's it's present also is something we've heard before, but it continues, and that is the name of the Lord. Often around this time is a focus on the name of Jesus. We get to hear on the first of the new year about the circumcision of Christ and that his name is given to him at the same occasion, that he is named Jesus. And so we get to hear more about the name of the Lord today, continuing kind of the theme we've heard already from his appearing at Christmas. Let's begin the propers here with the intro it from Hosea and Jeremiah. This is a very fascinating little intro. Again, we've said it before, the three-year lectionary in Lutheran service book took the time to choose introits and graduals, introits in particular, that fit with the particular day in that particular year, A, B, or C. And this one definitely lines up uh, entirely and maybe a little too obviously even with the gospel reading. But it's very interesting because it departs from the usual pattern of having a psalm be the feature of the introit and does something kind of strange which is to have Jeremiah be the body of it. So the antiphon is from Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, says the Lord, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's the passage that is quoted in the gospel reading today. Then it goes into Jeremiah, which is also quoted in the gospel for today. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. That's as much as we get in the gospel reading. But here in the intro, we go on to hear more of a hopeful part from Jeremiah. The words that immediately follow it in Jeremiah 31. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. What do we hear in the collect? The traditional collect, actually, for this first Sunday has not been used in any of the lectionaries, either the three years of our three-year or in the one year. It was kind of a general prayer that prayed for aid and direction from God, which is perfect at the beginning of a new calendar year or at the turn of a year. In the name of Christ, again, bringing the name of God and the name of his son is essential to this season. Praying that we would abound, uh, be given to abound in good works. So that's been lost. Instead, we have a collect that focuses especially on the incarnation. I'll read it. O God, our maker and redeemer, you wonderfully created us and in the incarnation of your son, yet more wondrously restored our human nature. Grant that we may ever be alive in him who made himself to be like us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This was in Lutheran worship, the hymnal prior to LSB, the second Sunday after Christmas colic. It speaks both about our 
bodily creation and about Christ's bodily creation, uh, if we can put it that way. His incarnation is taking up flesh and assuming it into his divine nature. And I do like how this collect, one, is definitely playing with the language back and forth between him and us, but also that it is showing the great significance to us of Christ having a body. The fact that he has become incarnate means something for us who are in this flesh, that he is redeeming us even through this. That isn't to say his redemption is finished in the incarnation and kind of he has nothing else to do. Of course, the whole message of the gospel today is that the Lord must be preserved. His hour has not yet come, to borrow a phrase from his later ministry. But we see that just as the Lord is not ashamed to take up our flesh, as it says in the Tadeum, he did not spurn the virgin's womb, but was glad to take up our flesh. So likewise, he is restoring our human nature by his work in this body so that we also may be with him forever. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday after Christmas with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. When we return, the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 63. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes, dedicated customer service, and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House, listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House, cph.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministry sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois, is a congregation of broken yet redeemed sinners who gather weekly to receive God's love and mercy. You won't find anything fancy here. We don't worship according to the latest trends. We follow the patterns of worship the church has used for millennia. We don't tell you to become holy like us. We invite you to be a sinner like us. Jesus delivers his forgiveness. That's what you'll find here every week. For you. More information at OurSaviorMilford.com. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is coming soon, and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life. From Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023, go to LutheransForLife.org for more information and for Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org, Lutheransforlife.org.
welcome back. We are looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, the first Sunday after Christmas, I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, up next is Isaiah 63, 7 through 14, the Old Testament reading. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. This is a, a beautiful account, right? It says at the beginning, I'm going to take a moment, Isaiah says, to recount the steadfast love, the, the goodness, the compassion, the abundance of his steadfast love. These are piling up the same phrase of the Lord's great loving kindness and mercy for us. And then he has words from the Lord's mouth. The Lord sets out to be the God of his people and says, they're my people. They will not deal falsely. Think of the introduction to the commandments, right? I will be your God and you will be my people and you will keep all my commandments. And he became their savior, right? Rescuing them out of Egypt. In their affliction, he was afflicted. So we see that the Lord has bound himself to Israel's cause. And I suppose you can hear an echo of what your parents might have said to you, right? It hurts me to afflict you more than it hurts you. The Lord is saying this also, that he's in solidarity with them, that he suffers when they suffer, even if we could put it in that way, as the Old Testament often does. And he is going to redeem them no matter what. We see that Israel rebels. They grieve the Holy Spirit, something Paul mentions in 1 Thessalonians also. And it even mentions that the Lord himself turns against them to call them to repentance. And yet then the Lord remembers the days of Moses. He returns to his promises. He relents, as we saw Moses stood in the breach. So we have this pass over the whole sweep of Israel, the whole Old Testament, really. And if you know the story of the children of Israel, all of these vignettes you want to stop by the roadside and talk about and, and delight in. And then it has this series of rhetorical questions, right? Where's God? Where is the Lord who is in the midst? Where is the one who did all this for Moses, who stood by him, the one who actually brought us out of Egypt? It wasn't Moses. It was the Lord the whole time. Where's he gone? Isn't he going to make his name glorious among us again? In a sense, that question is left unanswered in this pericope of Isaiah. But the reason we're hearing it today is so that we recognize 
the answer to this question is given to us in the birth of the Son of God, that he is Israel's savior and he is the faithful child, the child of Israel who doesn't deal falsely. And he has come to be our savior. He has come to be afflicted on our behalf. He has come to show us the steadfast love of God and to redeem us. So we go to the psalm appointed for this Sunday, which is Psalm 111. Take us through it. Sure. This is one of the other few deviations from the Revised Common Lectionary. They had 148, which is a pretty standard psalm, but we have 111, which is a great commentary on the Old Testament. And remember, as you're sitting in the pew, maybe the choir's singing it or you're singing along with them. These psalms, whenever they're used, are meant to comment on the Old Testament reading. So here we see another recounting. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright in the congregation. So he's going to tell out what the Lord has done. He's made his wonderful works to be remembered. He is gracious and full of compassion. He gave meat to them who fear him. Think about the quail in the desert, right? He showed the people the power of his works. Moses, bring him out. And... The Lord has sent redemption to his people. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So we see that the Lord's name is brought up again as the one who goes with Israel, as he has always cared for them and redeemed them. And he holds to his promises for his name's sake. All of this that is going to be fulfilled in the coming of Christ Jesus. The epistle will now take us to Galatians chapter 4. Read that one for us, if you would. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I think it's worth noting this is the last place for the day where our lectionary departs from the revised common lectionary. And it may be worth mentioning that the Roman Catholic Church in their revision of the three-year lectionary has departed quite a bit. They still have the same gospel reading, but they have styled this first Sunday as the Sunday of the Holy Family and have adjusted the other readings as a result. But the revised common lectionary has Hebrews 2, which really does fit quite well with the theme. It's all about the incarnation. It's about Christ sharing in our flesh and blood. Therefore, he shares our sufferings. He's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and that he is the propitiation for our sins because of this. So again, similar to the collect, connecting his flesh with our flesh. The point is that he is going to redeem us by means of it through his death and his resurrection. Galatians 4, on the other hand, is Paul's Christmas story, if I could style it that way. He's focused on Christ, the Son of God, and how he makes us sons of God as well. So what Paul is talking about is the fullness of time. This is how we describe the time of the Lord's coming. I always forget this phrase, but it might be really the best way to talk about 
the time when Jesus was walking around on earth, right? You want to say when Jesus was alive, but that's a problem because he's alive forevermore. You want to say when Jesus was a man, except he is ascended as a man and seated at the right hand of God too. So maybe we should simply speak of it as the fullness of time, which is when God was present on this earth, walking as a man between his birth, his incarnation, and his ascension. The fullness of time. And Paul says he's born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's quite a bit going on in here. One, that those who are under the law are Israel. So he's come to redeem his people, specifically the Jews. But so also we see that there's a promise for the Gentiles that they, together with Israel, are being received as sons, not through merits or anything else, but by adoption, that we're being taken in as his sons through Christ. And therefore, then, he gives us all the promises of a son, that we are heirs, that we're no longer slaves, but that we are are the rightful heirs. The traditional text for the first Sunday after Christmas, the gospel reading, fits pretty well with Galatians 4, and that was usually appointed there. And that's Jesus there fulfilling the purification and the presentation laws at the temple. So you see that he is undergoing the law for our sakes to fulfill it for us. Even so, we have that Israelite connection here, which is most important for tying with our gospel. We'll get to in a moment. The gradual again? Seasonal, so we've heard this already, and uh, this one is also borrowing from Christmas's intro it. To us, a son is born, to us, a child is given, and that he is the governor and has all those names, wonderful counselor, etc. What might be most important for our text today is that it is a prophecy that the Lord is a king in some sense. He is a governor. He is a ruler of his people. And that's going to tie into Herod and what he's doing there in Israel, being this sort of puppet king as a uh, ethnarch. But while well, he's nervous about preserving his reign, and he's threatened, therefore, by anybody else's reign, including this reign of a kingdom that is not of this world, the, the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we find in the verse? And the verse, again, is annual. So here's one place where it kind of slips a little bit because you'll hear this all three years on the first Sunday after Christmas, and it definitely ties into years B and C and not so well to this one. The verse goes like this. My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Part of the Nunc Dimittis Simeon song, which definitely connects when we get to hear Simeon's song uh, in years B and C. But in year A, what can we say about this? Well, Simeon is making a commentary about the Christ being the Savior, both of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles, both. Our interest in particular today is going to be Christ as a Savior and a fulfillment of Israel, that he is Israel reduced to one in a sense, and therefore out of Egypt, the Lord calls his son, his people Israel, as well as his only begotten son. But it is wonderful to see that even when we're trying to focus on Israel, we can't help but see that the Lord's salvation is for all people, that, that even the Jews are now adopted, as it were, through Christ, so also for the Gentiles. 
Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to the first Sunday after Christmas, according to the three-year lectionary, when we return the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 2, The Visit of the Magi. Listen to the best of the church's Christmas music during the entire Christmas season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. During the 12 days of Christmas, Lutheran Public Radio, LutheranPublicRadio.org. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at melhs.org, jkrause at melhs.org. Sacramental, historical, liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the first Sunday after Christmas, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, we come now to the Gospel reading, Matthew 2, 13 through 23. Take us into that. Now when, we have to insert something here so we know where the story began, the wise men, so after the Magi had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So this is certainly early in the life of Jesus in the fullness of time. It's uh, a little out of order chronologically for the whole church here, which maybe is just a good occasion to mention that our observance of the church year is not ultimately attempting to kind of replay the life of Jesus, strictly speaking. Our interest is not to make sure that we get all the historical details in order. Our interest is not that we're just kind of having a play, that we're sitting back and watching of Jesus' life. But our goal is to consider his life in narrative as well as in teaching, as well as in the commentary of the prophets and apostles, so that we can understand the teaching of God, so that we can be Christians, so that faith can be enlivened in us. And as a result, that's why we're not ashamed, even in this three-year lecture that wants to give us all of Matthew's gospel more or less in order to take a few things out of order if we want to give them special consideration, or if we want to kind of follow along with the church's longstanding church year practice, uh, especially when it comes to Easter and Christmas, etc. That's why we're going to hear about those magi that come before this reading, after this reading, every year, no matter when Christmas falls. You might also think of it as being too late for the Holy Innocents. A lot of years we'll hear this after the 28th, and the Holy Innocents are there. As we look at this account from Matthew, two things are going on simultaneously. One, there are entirely understandable actions in history, which isn't to say there aren't miracles. So we have Joseph having dreams, and he's listening to the angels who are warning him in these dreams. But if you look at his actions, I think they seem entirely reasonable. Matthew takes the time to mention all of the rulers and what's going on. And I think 
a reasonable person would look at this and say, yeah, it makes sense. Joseph wants to save his wife and his child. They skip town. They are paying attention to the news. And when things seem safe, in addition to listening to the word of the Lord from his angels, they take the rational understanding. At the same time, though, Matthew shows us how God is at work behind all of this, according to the scriptures, that he is working this in order to fulfill what he had promised of old. So I have no idea what Joseph thought he was doing when he took Jesus to Egypt. I assume he thought he was just going to spare the child. That's the message we have recorded from the angel. But here we see also the Lord has worked a a marvelous fulfillment of a very obscure prophecy uh, by the very same event. We're used to seeing this happen in John's gospel, especially in the Passion, where it's so obvious that even though the people mean it for evil, God means it for good. But here in Matthew's gospel, we see it happening kind of in the meat of the story, that the Lord's preservation, that Joseph's actions are also fulfilling these other prophecies in the Old Testament. As we're reflecting on this particular gospel, how would you anticipate a pastor preaching this, especially since he has a window of opportunity during the Christmas season that is pretty narrow? Well, there's a lot of ways you could go. I mean, I think one is to see Joseph's uh, noble action as a father and a guardian This is Joseph's big moment. This is probably his best passage, if you wanted to kind of talk about the man. This and the one we've already heard of him hearing the message of the angel that he should not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Here we get to see his actions, though, not as a husband, but as a father or a stepfather in this case, that he takes great care of his wife and his child. Yes, there's great freight to this because this is the son of God. It's not even his own child. Yet we see he's diligent in his duties as to what a father or a guardian is. In fact, it's this story that gives us the the name that we assign only to Joseph, that he is the guardian of our Lord. So I think, you know, we have his example to follow, certainly. Also, we might take a chance to look at the prophecies that out of Egypt, I have called my son. There, I think we especially look at Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel, as Israel bottled up in one man and as the true son of Israel that is faithful to the Lord in all the ways that God commanded. See how the Lord is providing satisfaction for his own commandments in Jesus Christ. So consider the exodus, consider the people stuck in there, consider how in the 10th plague, the angel of death came to slay all the firstborn sons, not just of Egypt, mind you, but of Israel too, of everybody who lived in the land and even of the livestock. But the Lord provided a rescue for those firstborn sons through the blood of the lamb that's put on the doorposts. And of course, then the angel of death passes over those firstborn sons of Israel. And then we forget this part of the story. The Lord makes a ceremony and a rite and a remembrance of this, that every child who opens the womb is to be redeemed, to be bought back from the Lord, because they all belong to him. He's saved them. Therefore, they're the Lord's now. And yet every family buys them back for their own purposes. All of which then is foreshadowing for Christ, who is the true firstborn son of the Father, who is offered up 
for us in order to win us back as firstborn sons of the Lord. I think that'd be a fantastic sermon as well. Or you might consider this prophecy of Rama, which speaks about Rachel. Rachel is the mother of Joseph. Rachel is the mother of the sons of Jacob, Benjamin, Manasseh, and Rachel is prophetically used by Jeremiah surrounding the destruction and the exile of the people of Israel. So most likely the captives were taken to Ramah and Jeremiah was released and he utters this prophecy. You can read about that in Jeremiah 40. But we see that Rachel from beyond the grave, as it were, is weeping for her children that are gone, are taken away. Think of the 10 tribes in the north who are taken away forever and are lost and only Judah remains. And yet also that one the lion of Judah, right? The scepter does not depart from him. That then is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This also might be an opportunity to speak frankly about the wickedness of men in this world and to look at Herod. Herod is a, the whole Herodian dynasty is a fascinating and sordid tale right up there with the Borgias and other great kind of mobster, kingly families, princely families in world history. These guys are just the sort of people who would kill their own children out of uh, fear that they might take over. And that's exactly what Herod the Great did. We don't have any extra biblical accounts of the holy innocence, which causes some people to doubt its existence. But I think it has this going for it. This kind of thing fits exactly with the extra biblical picture of Herod we have. Who knows how many innocents were killed, but Herod was not above getting his hands dirty, and all for preserving his own power, right? And look at who is wasted because of that, right? Even children under the age of two. We know this kind of evil in our day, in particular because of abortion, where children even younger than that are murdered without any wrongdoing on their part, and even the legitimate authorities seem to be approving of it. So we might lament that also with Rachel. But nevertheless, we don't want to lose sight of the one who gets away here and why he gets away. I suppose you might accuse Jesus of being cruel. Why should he let these children die and not suffer in solidarity with them? That seems like that's contrary to that uh, Hebrews passage in Hebrews 2. Well, the truth is, just as he says elsewhere, his hour has not yet come. He is going to be lifted up on the cross to fulfill many other prophecies, uh, but especially so that it can be very clear that he dies not by accident, not by the will of man or the will of flesh or the will of some earthly father, but he also dies by God's command as well. He dies as a sacrifice, as Isaiah says. He dies for the sins of his people. Uh, he dies to redeem Israel and to make us firstborn sons also. Pastor John Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to the first Sunday after Christmas, according to the three-year lectionary. Once I began to see and understand what Scripture really teaches in regard to the law and the gospel, I stopped trying to save myself and receive by faith the gift offered to me in the gospel. It's been more than 20 years since I first set foot on the campus of Christ College. I no longer subscribe to the latest and greatest sin-conquering fads, I confess, that I am a poor, miserable sinner in dire need of a Savior. 
That's from Pastor Chris Rosebro in our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. We'll send you this book and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir for a year-end tax-deductible donation of $250 or more to Issues Etc. You can make a secure online gift at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening this year, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. On the other side, would this be a good time to discuss from the pulpit the issue of abortion, given the text about the holy innocence? If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2022, please make a year-end tax-deductible gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with The Sinful Woman, Part 2, Women Disciples, Parable of the Sower, How You Hear, and Jesus Calms the Storm. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar, you're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Stanza four of the Christmas hymn, Let All Together Praise Our God. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, would this be a good time to discuss from the pulpit the issue of abortion, given the text of the Holy Innocents here? I think it would be. I mean, I think it can't be the center of the sermon in a haranguing way, and it should not be an occasion to forget about Jesus Christ. That would be to miss the entire point of the story. 
Matthew has shown us how the Lord, by Joseph, by his faithful parents, has preserved the Savior of the world for that very purpose. So you would really do violence to the text if you stopped talking about Jesus and started only talking about the problems of this world. But I think this is a perfect opportunity to see the evil, to lament it, and to address it in a sermon. It's possible that wouldn't win you too many friends, but I'd encourage the pastors to take Paul's admonition that we're slaves of Christ and stewards of the mysteries who need to be found faithful and that it's a light thing to be judged by anything but the Lord himself and preach boldly then. But again, definitely to speak about the fact that this Savior has come to forgive sins, including the monstrous kind of sins that we see in our world. He's come to be a faithful son of Israel, to be the faithful son of Israel, and to redeem not only Israel, but also all Gentiles, all of us, by his blood. What would you like to say about the hymns? It is a shame if there's any bad part about observing Advent. It's that we have a short amount of time sometimes to sing our Christmas hymns. I suppose that's our fault. We just need to go to church a little more. I mean, we do have 12 days, and I can't think of a better thing to do as a Christian than to have a feast the whole time, right? And and we could even bring out some punch afterwards, too. Uh, but I have a feeling this day is going to be full of Christmas hymns as it ought to be. In particular, we get to focus on some of, in my mind, are the secondary Christmas hymns. They're not the most favorite, but they are fantastic hymns that confess great things. I want to mention one that is hard to appoint for this day because it's it's so common to the theme of epiphany, but it also belongs here. And that's the star proclaims the king is here. I'll read this first stanza, which directly addresses our text today. The star proclaims the king is here, but Herod... Why this senseless fear? For he who offers heavenly birth seeks not the kingdoms of this earth. I love that sassy tone there, right? Why, Herod, are you so freaked out? Why are you in a furious rage? Don't you understand who this son is? Don't you understand that his birth here on earth is to, to give us birth into eternal life, like Stephen, like, yeah, I guess even the holy innocence that you would like to kill? He comes not to seek a kingdom of this world, but to bring the reign of the heavens, as Matthew will talk over and over about, right to us. So even though that hymn also can be sung on Epiphany, also can be sung on the second Sunday after Epiphany with the baptism of Jesus as well, and the wedding at Cana, you could start singing if you chose already on this day. The hymn of the day is a Christmas hymn that I really love, but that again is kind of a, a second tier Christmas hymn, and that's let all together praise our God. It's it's not the one that you'd think you'd be hearing from King's College Lessons and Carols, and it's not one that might be first and foremost on our minds, but it is a fantastic hymn. This hymn, written by Nicholas Hermann, talks about how Christ has given us his Son to make us sons. It talks about, again, how the Lord has descended from the Father's throne. He's born as a little infant. He comes humbly, right? He hides his all-creating light to serve us in humility. He undertakes this great exchange, how he puts on our human frame and in exchange gives us his kingdom, his glory, and his name as well. So, uh, and I love this uh, contrast too. He's a servant I become a Lord. What a mystery. 
Uh, this Christ child loves us so much, he becomes our great friend. He's the key to heaven, and there's no uh, no one to bar us from heaven anymore now that he has come. All of this is capturing a continuation of Christmas Eve, a continuation of the marveling at the incarnation. But it also begins to show us how the Lord is going to make an exchange with us, which we'll continue to see throughout the year. We'll see how he undergoes suffering in order to give us salvation. We'll see how he will be humble in order to magnify us. And in particular, as we see the Lord already in danger, right? Just think of that. Surely the Lord is not worried even by the greatest of kings or political powers. And yet he puts himself in these vulnerable places. He puts himself in the womb where we know uh, a child is not necessarily safe. And he puts himself in the realm where a wicked king is in charge who's not afraid to kill little infants. But he does all of this to be our savior, to redeem Israel. And I think that's a perfect fulfillment of that Old Testament reading, right? That when Israel was afflicted, the Lord says he was afflicted. Well, if we struggle to imagine how the father could suffer, since we don't usually think of him suffering, well, in Christ Jesus, all of that is no metaphor at all. Finally, how would you summarize the overall message here? We're still in the glow of Christmas, and yet we begin to see that it's not all fun and games, to put it that way. Certainly, we have the prophecies of the joy of Christ, and I expect our hymns will carry that through for the most part. But already we see that the Lord begins to suffer, that he begins to be in danger, that he must be preserved for a great purpose, but that purpose will still be death. And yet we're going to rejoice all the more because of this, because we know that Jesus Christ has come to be our Savior. And he has come to even be afflicted so that he may redeem us from sin, from the wicked evils of this world as well, and to fulfill everything that he promised to come under the law so that we might come under his house and his kingdom to be sons of God and heirs in Christ Jesus. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. My pleasure. Merry Christmas. Folks, LCMS Worship sends out a monthly email with prayers of the church, lectionary summaries, Bible studies, prayer calendars, and more. Sign up today at lcms.org worship, lcms.org worship. Pastor Will Whedon, former director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joins us next hour to study the Christmas hymn, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.
Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Mascuda, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Mascuda, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmascuta.com. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com Christological My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. This is it.